0: Welcome to Vermont Artists and Authors, where we interview great storytellers and artists from the amazing Green Mountain State. This is episode 37. I'm your host, Barney Smith of Storycomic.com, and we're excited to have with us the acclaimed author, Jane Dwinell. Jane. Hi. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm okay, and you? So Jane, you know, before we you just came out with a you just came out with a book that um that really focuses on um it's called Alzheimer's Canyon: One Couple's Reflections on Living with Dementia. Would you consider this uh, a a memoir or more of a a handbook, or how would you how would you kind of catalog this?
1: It's more of a memoir, and actually, I'm the co-author. My husband, Sky Yardley, wrote most of it. He had Mm -hmm. dementia. He was diagnosed in 2016 with probable early stage Alzheimer's because of course they don't know until you die and they do an autopsy, but um, that's what we went with. And um, Sky just, he amazingly embraced this. I mean, he was devastated and sad and Mm -hmm. cried for every day for like two months, but he embraced that he had this diagnosis and he was gonna find out everything he could about it. He wanted to find his people, other people mm-hmm. with dementia. And uh, he did a lot of public speaking. We both did and, and then he started writing and he wrote and he wrote and he wrote and we started a blog and he wrote as long as he could. He wrote until a, a little more than a year before he died. And, and he was still writing when he couldn't dress himself or bathe himself or feed himself um, right. but he was still writing and after he died in 2021 i compiled everything and found a publisher and here we are
0: and and you you got this published through the hybrid publishing house that uh, rootstock publishing correct yes, i did yeah um, and, and so how did that work i'm just kind of curious as well is that when you when you put this this book together. What was the process like at one point did you say, um, you kind of followed, you know, you, you the two of you are kind of followed this journey for four years. Um and at what point did talk about the process between pulling all those those blog those blog entries and into making it into a um a memoir that kind of followed the path.
1: I organized the blog posts, you know, Sky wrote about all of his experiences, but as we posted them on the blog, they weren't necessarily in chronological order. Mm -hmm. So I pulled them all out and, and set them in chronological order of when it happened that he was writing about. And I wrote um, an introduction to each year about what we focused on, and then there's his writings and a few of mine and once he couldn't write anymore that's when i kind of took over talking about what happened
0: that blog can be still found out, and i'll put the link in the yeah. show notes is that alzheimer's blogspot.com? correct right
1: yep yeah. yep yeah. yeah and the on okay. the blog of course being a blog has more you know it has photos and pictures and you know, more stuff than what happens in a book. But, right. but the book is more, um, I don't know, bookish. That's a silly thing to say. Um, and, and, and part of it was he, he wrote about his personal experience, about what it was like to have dementia. But he also wrote about this fantasy world of Alzheimer's Canyon, One Way In, No Way Out. And there are 11 episodes of what happens to this guy who gets flagged off the highway down this rutted dirt road to Alzheimer's Canyon, a place he didn't really want to go to.
0: And how did it work for you, too, is when you when you sat down with Rootstock and, uh, and how much editing do they have to do? Because putting in a blog, it's can be very raw and unedited and um, and just How much did how much editing and how much did it change for those that might have followed the blog? Uh, How similar and how different are the two? Uh,
1: They're very similar. I was very lucky to have a wonderful editor who is actually Mm -hmm. a friend of mine. Um, And, you know, I had a conversation with her because, yes, the blog posts. I was Sky's editor for the blog posts. But you're right, it's a blog, and he could use all kinds of crazy punctuation and capitalization Mm -hmm. and stuff you don't put in a book. But Marisa was really good. You know, I said, keep Sky's voice and do it, you know, edit it the way books are supposed to be. And she did an excellent job of of maintaining his voice and getting rid of a lot of the excess that he used
0: was there was there any conversation as a, and how much you know through that hybrid publishing model how much say or was there anything in there that you kind of wished you wanted to keep in that they said well it just really doesn't flow like that we need to edit some sections out or did that conversation ever well, happen
1: yeah there was some editing partly because of copyright issues um Guy mm. was a big fan of quoting song lyrics and you apparently have to pay extra if you want to quote <laughs> song lyrics. Um, and there was a wonderful blog post that our daughter wrote um, that it was decided to not include that in the final editing. Um, mm. Partly because it included a lot of song lyrics. <laughs> she inherited her father's <laughs> love of song lyrics. Um, so <laughs> No, it was fine, you know the way it came out, it was fine, yeah you know? right
0: and and so i mean w- w- when your husband passed, was this was it always the intention of talking to him before as to to publish a book on this, or is this an afterthought to say we should put this into a book form?
1: Well, I, you know that's an interesting question. I don't think we ever talked about it blatantly. Um, He was just so passionate about talking about the realities of having dementia. He wanted to help erase the stigma of the disease and, you know, did that as long as he could. And then actually he still did it in a way in his last year he um, was at the Arbors in Shelburne. And he loved being with his people finally. anyway no it was it was always in the back of my mind, you know, given that I had written three other books, like we're gonna make a book out of this because there are very, very few books written by people with dementia, as you can well imagine, right um, and so I wanted to add Sky's voice to that small elite group
0: right and And so, you know, with that said, how different was this process putting this book together as compared to? Um, you, you came out with Birth Stories back in 92 and uh, Freedom Through Frugality back in 2010. Right. Um, and and then you also said you also had uh, another book that you came right. out about your uh, universalist work.
1: Right. Yeah, Big ideas yeah. for Small Congregations. That was in right. 2008. Yeah. No, I just wrote. I mean, that's like what I do. I write what I know, what I live what i see um and and then that's what sky did you know he wrote what he was living and shared it with us
0: right and how so 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 talk to us a little bit about that that process as you say is like is you decide to make the book how did you find rootstock publishing was that something that you already identified ahead of time or you're that you're familiar with or was there some research involved? I
1: wasn't at all. Actually, you know, my first book, birth stories was published by a major publisher, you know, because that was the early nineties. That's right. Publishing world was. Um, and both big ideas for small congregations and freedom through frugality. I, I pitched them to publishers and, nobody wanted the church book, which I I don't blame them. It was a very niche thing. So I self published. um, And I did have a contract with a publisher for freedom through frugality, but we ran into a few (laughs) conflicts. So I uh, gave them back my advance and and self published that as well. Um, And, and both of them did fine for for being a niche Market, but I knew um, that that Alzheimer's Canyon deserved a larger audience and deserved a publisher, and um, I tried a bunch and finally had success with Rootstock.
0: Is there a way like was there like a pitch involved or how did that work?
1: No, they had a. Um, You you sent them the first whatever pages, I forget how many, 30, 40 pages. And, you know, so I did. And if I didn't get a phone call like 10 minutes later (laughs) saying, yes, we want this, I'm like, okay, sign me up. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, that's just what happened. It was a pretty straightforward process.
0: And so who would you say, like, for instance, like that uh, Alzheimer's Canyon, obviously it's important for, for caregivers and maybe people that um, might need to learn more about Alzheimer's. But would this be also a book that would be specifically say uh, it's, uh, you know, for say like a, a general audience or who would this book be written for?
1: Well, given that 6 million people in the U.S. have dementia, it's this book is for everybody because I suspect everybody either has a family member or a friend or a colleague um, or will have a family member or a friend or a colleague that has dementia. It's like way too common. It's the fifth leading cause of death in the U.S. And uh, so really this book is for everyone. Um you know, particularly for people with dementia who are still able to read and interested in, you know, finding out someone else's take on what's happening, I have heard from several people who have early stage dementia, who read the book, who said Sky nailed it, you know, that that yeah. was their experience as well of what it's like to have dementia. And and you know, I there's a bit of what I say in there as um, his wife and partner and caregiver, which is no fun. Um, and but it has to be done. Uh, you know, it's it's not easy to watch your beloved and best friend kind of drift away. Though he still was still he was still himself. Um, to the end, but to watch all those skills and gifts that he had as a person kind of disappear. Right.
0: Yeah. And how and, and and how much of this too like in this book is there an expectation where there's a um how much of it is is a as you say a memoir and how much of this is based off of like more like an advocacy piece to make sure that say like the medical profession learns more about this. So that would be good. Yeah. <laughs> if the medical profession could learn more about this. You know,
1: I mean, my first career was as a registered nurse and I worked the two ends of life. I, I ran the birthing center at Gifford in the late 70s and early 80s. And then I worked in a nursing home in a memory care unit. And then I did hospice. And, you know, in our culture, people don't talk about end of life care. And right. it was a real gift that Sky was like, okay, this is what I want. And we went to the lawyer and we filled out all the papers. And when it came time, when he was dying, it was real, it was easy because I knew exactly what he wanted and I was able right. to give him the death that he wanted. And, right. you know, that doesn't happen to everybody.
0: Right. And how, and how much is, have you noticed, too, uh, just from that advocacy perspective? Because now you've been, you, you've been living and being a part of the Alzheimer's community since 2016. So that's been seven years. Have you seen an increase in, uh, in, in education for the general public when it comes to Alzheimer's and other dementia-related disorders at all?
1: I hope so. Um, yeah. I feel like... You know like 30 years ago nobody talked about having cancer and now it's like oh you know cancer walk this ribbons like you know everybody talks about cancer and i'm hoping that that's where dementia is heading that it's not going to be so um stigmatized and so forbidden you know i i knitted sky this brain hat that he wore all the time and People would say to him, you know, we were in Burlington. He'd be walking down the street. He liked to walk a lot, ride his bike a lot. People say, oh, like your hat. And he'd say, let me tell you about that. I have dementia. And, you know, and half the people would go, oh, huh, goodbye. But then the other half would say, oh, my grandmother had that or my, you know, brother-in-law or whoever. And they'd want to talk about it and and sky gave them the opportunity to be able to talk
0: about it right yeah and now so where do you where and also i'm just kind of curious as well because this book has a strong message it's almost is there um any conversations that you're having with rootstock or with yourself with talking to um other advocates of maybe making companion pieces to this um any ideas of turning it into also some maybe uh um, some caregiver modules or anything along those lines?
1: That sounds like fun. No, nobody's talked about that yet. But I've gotten involved with the um, Vermont chapter of the Alzheimer's Association and I'll be doing lobbying at the state house and yeah. stuff like that.
0: I mean, we mentioned before you went on the air that you're gonna be going to different states and talking about the book as well. Yes,
1: I am, yes. I I have engagements from Maine to California. And happy to have more if anybody wants to get in touch with me. <laughs> Public speaking, readings, libraries, bookstores, whatever. And, you know, it's important right. to talk about this. You know, right. it wasn't. It's not easy, and it's going to happen to a whole lot of people. It's already right. happening to a whole lot of people.
0: Right. And do you see this also, too, is like, do you see that uh, those that are interested that seem to be coming to these cut talks, are they mostly a generational thing or do you see uh, younger folks uh, wanting to learn more about it as well?
1: Yeah, it's it's everybody, young and old, um, very interesting. And people ask a lot of good questions and they're very concerned about this. They want to know about support groups. They want to know about finances. They want to know about end of life care. Um, you know, this is something that we don't talk about in our society. And I, and I have to say, I, I don't think our doctors do real well talking about it either. So, you know, it's important. It's important to talk about it. Hey, cause we're all going to die of something at some point.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and do you see so when you're reaching out and, and doing these talks, or is it mostly at say like libraries or as you say, libraries, bookstores, or are they usually at senior centers, or who are the I haven't your done audience senior
1: centers? It's been libraries, bookstores, and churches. Wow,
0: but okay. I,
1: I have a sermon that I do as well, given that I'm okay. a retired, besides a retired nurse, I'm a retired minister. So <laughs>
0: And well, and plus too is like you know you're so you have books that are based off of some of your some of your right. your pathways. So I'm also kind of curious. in the word where does freedom through frugality fit in? Is that because you're a native Vermonter and Vermonters <laughs> are known as being frugal people?
1: Well, yeah, very funny. No, I I think my parents were cheap more than frugal. We're <laughs> children of the Depression, so you know what can I say? Um, you no, know, freedom through frugality came um because Sky and I chose to retire early. We say we were, in the early nineties we we read a book called Your Money or Your Life, um, which talked about learning understanding your relationship with money. And right. so what we decided to do was follow that program. So we that could retire early to then be able to do volunteer work. Um, and oh, I am forget, forever grateful that we did that, given that Sky got diagnosed with dementia at age 66 with no family history and in perfect health otherwise. And so we had nearly 10 years of volunteering, primarily in New Orleans after Katrina helping rebuild. And we spent our summers in France. And I was actually, a the AARP magazine did a story about us. Huh. And that's when I was approached by a publisher. Oh, could you write a book about this? And so I said, sure. And anyway, long story short, I, the publisher and I didn't agree. And I self-published Freedom Through Vigality.
0: Right. You know,
1: it's, it's a way to move through the world. Like we just didn't buy things because we wanted to have our money available to us to be able to have the freedom to do other things, which is right. what we did.
0: Yeah. And so through through the process of writing your latest book, the Alzheimer's canon, what were, what were some of the things that you're happy that you wrote previous books? So you already knew from, from that publishing and writing perspective that you didn't have to learn already.
1: Right. I mean, I knew how to like, you know, create a document. I mean, I remember sending off the manuscript for my first book. This was 91.
0: 92, 91, right? Well, it
1: yeah. came out of 92, but it was 91. And it was like paper that you printed <laughs> in a box <laughs> that you sent off, you know, and now it's all online and email, and you know, PDF right. or whatever, you know. So no, I felt like I had been around the block on this book thing. So it wasn't a big deal.
0: Mm. and so and, and through through the Alzheimer's Canyon I uh, talking about that again is that you you had um you know looking at your looking at your the, the blog post that happened do you how much of the book itself is not in the blog
1: um all of my, yearly you know um, all my introductions i wrote a, a general introduction explaining who we were and our life right um and then i divided the blog posts into years and so it was for four and a half years so it's like five years so i wrote an introduction to each year and then i wrote an epilogue um and then i i wrote a thing that i called Jane and Sky's helpful hints mm. <laughs> should you or one of your loved ones uh, be diagnosed with dementia, the right. thing that um, we found important. So, yeah. So, no, the book has a lot of stuff that's not on the blog.
0: Now, did you, and I'm really curious because as this was happening, you had to have, um, COVID during yeah. this time as well. I mean, yeah. Did you talk about that at all in the oh, Alzheimer's yeah. Canyon?
1: Yeah, yeah, Way. Yeah. No, I, who knows how this would have gone had we not had COVID. But oh. um, starting in February of 2019, Sky started having hallucinations and he started having them with greater and greater frequency so that by the winter, like by December of 2019 and January of 2020, I was not sleeping because he was up and down all night long with this hallucination or that hallucination. And they were by and large benign. Mm -hmm. Um, But they would wake me up. Well, he would wake me up. He'd want to tell me about like this thing that was happening that wasn't really happening. Um, And he would go back to sleep and I wouldn't. And I was I was not doing well with not sleeping. Mm. I didn't do well when we had little babies and thank goodness he was the one who got up and walked them in the middle of the night. Um, Anyway, the Arbors, uh, the memory care facility in Shelburne offers a respite program where people can stay for two weeks to two months to give the family a break. And so Sky and I talked about that. Um, in January of 2020 and then in February we went for a tour we spent a day and he went to activities and we had lunch and talked to the staff members and stuff and he agreed to go for a a time of respite so I could have a break and I was like oh man I had visions of a beach on an ocean with warm water and fruity cocktails and Trashy novels and slots of sleeping while he was well cared for at the Arbors. And so we signed up and I placed him there on March 10th, 2020. And we know what happened next.
0: Right.
1: There was, you know, the plan was for him to be there for two weeks. And, and by the time I placed him, I'm like, no Caribbean beach. I can't even go to New York city and go to the theater. Like, this right. weird thing is happening. And then the lockdown happened and I wasn't even allowed to see him until the end of June. It was, wow. it was really awful, but that was the governor had a lockdown and, and especially for senior care facilities. Right. So, you know, we talked on the phone. Um, but the first time to be able to see him after all those months, it was, um, six feet apart, masked and gowned outside for a half an hour once a week.
0: Wow. And,
1: and it it didn't go well because someone with dementia doesn't understand the masks and gowns and the six feet apart. Like he couldn't even see me because at that point he couldn't hold his head up. Um, And so he was staring at the ground. I mean, he knew it was me. He knew my voice, Um, but it was, so frustrating to not be right. able to touch him sit next to him you know um, yeah. it was pretty awful and I kept trying to decide whether I wanted to keep doing that or not but I did yeah. um, and then by fall we had another lockdown so we went back to being on Zoom which doesn't also go over well with someone with dementia right. uh, or the, the phone was better
0: yeah and, and, and what level, you know, coming from a caregiver and a, and a loved one, what, what level of advocacy would you, you know, recommend for the, the medical establishments like that to, for something that might happen again similar in the future?
1: Well, I, we were really lucky with the arbors because they mm. were amazing and fabulous. And, and bless their hearts, I don't know how they did it in the pandemic without the help from family members. You know, when we came on our day, when we had the tour, there were family members all over the place. They were helping to feed people and walking with people, sitting with people. And I'm like, oh my God, the staff had to pull this off all by themselves. They did a great job. But I'm also familiar with other senior facilities in the state, and they're not all as good as the arbors. You know the too many people, and and I have I have to say I remember this from the facility that I worked in, but this was in the '80s. You know, you just parked people by the nurses' station and hoped for the best. Like there weren't activities. You know, there was some music maybe and stuff, but um, people were not respected as whole people, even though they had dementia, because they are still old people. Mm-hmm. So there, there really needs to be some work around that. And, and, I'll, and I have to say most of it's financial, right. like, you know, to, to be able to train staff, either facility staff or home care staff in how to deal with people with dementia, because you don't argue with them. You don't try to straighten them out. You go with the flow. It's like theater improv. You just like, yeah, whatever, you, wherever you're going, I'm going with you. Unless it's not safe, then you have to redirect somebody. But otherwise, you have to just kind of go with the flow.
0: Well, you know, bring up a good point. Do you feel as though it's like would that would your book also help out in the in, in in a situation of a, you know, making sure people are trained in how to um, work with someone with dementia, like some sort of you know, specialty certification or something along those lines? Is there is an educational aspect to the book as well?
1: That's a good question. I think it that would depend on the person reading it. I would like to mm. think people reading it would get educated that to understand that people with dementia are whole people who have lives and they may be doing things that like you and I don't do. But, you know, like Sky had this whole, in his hallucinatory world, he had... A relationship with the natural world, like with trees and flowers, and they they had names, and they talked to him. And like, that's completely amazing. Like, Mm. you know, is there some level of consciousness that you and I don't know about? Right, you know, and so for um, professionals to be able to understand that that people with dementia have like a whole life that should be respected. Um, for what it is, and not like, oh no, 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 the trees don't talk. But like, wait a mm. minute, maybe they do, and we just don't right. know.
0: Right? Yeah. But and so, where where do you see? Uh, so, w- what are your hopes um, moving forward? You know, with the book because it's an evergreen book. It's not necessarily a book that is, uh, you know, specific that if this can, this book can be, you know, read ten years from now right um wh- yeah. what are your what are your hopes um, where do you see um, your book and where do you see your role in, in as an author and advocate for Alzheimer's right now?
1: Well, first I want to make Sky famous. That's the most important thing <laughs> you know because there are so fo- few books written by people with dementia and and you know he he clung to the ones, you know, the couple that really spoke to him. Um, and so I'm hoping this is true for other people that this will, that this book will bring people with dementia, some comfort to know that this diagnosis, you know, as horrible as it is, it's not the end of the world, but you can still have a really good life even with dementia. Um, and you know, I feel like just, that's my role is to get that word out.
0: Right. um, and, and do you see anything, uh, you know, I, I, I realized the book just, you know, the, the book came out, you know, as of this recording, this book, the book came out two months ago. Right. Um, is there uh, any other conversations that you're having on trying to do other supplements to this or, or, or adding, was there anything that was cut out or anything um, that you'd let you want to add on to it or putting into a, a another sequel book to this or anything around those lines
1: well no there's been no conversation about that um i'm you know it's doing you know i've 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 been on the road with this right the book came out november 1st so i've been on the road doing stuff since then and and i'm booked you know pretty much through may um and doing this work is amazing. And it's also emotionally wrenching. Like this is mm-hmm. my husband who died and right. sometimes I don't want to talk about it so much, you know, like, you know, yeah. it's tough. Um, yeah. And so I'm excited about being part of the work in the legislature this year. Um, hopefully we can get some bills passed. There's um, they want to get a, a Vermont dementia coordinator, which would be amazing because that would help um, professionals as well as advocate for families. So um, that's kind of what I'm doing now.
0: Right. What advice would you give authors who publish an incredibly personal book and what, what advice would you give them, you know, moving forward and how would, what would you tell them?
1: self-publishing is fine if you have a niche market and but god forbid if you self-publish do hire an editor and a graphic designer i have read too many movies like oh i'm just gonna do this thing on amazon and you can't even read it because it's not edited um you know take the time to, to to make it good um and and you know i wasn't familiar with this hybrid publishing thing um and so that has its positive aspects because the with the hybrid publishing it's basically like your self-publishing, but the publisher deals with all the the publicity and the marketing and mm. getting in with the book distribution people, which I don't completely understand. So it's worth paying somebody to do that for you. Um and 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 this seems to be the new wave. You know, unless you're Prince Harry or somebody famous
0: <laughs> who gets a
1: $40 million contract.
0: And he didn't even write it. He had a ghostwriter, too. Of course
1: he must have. You know, and he hardly needs $40 million. Think of what you and I could do with $40 million. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the publishing world is, you know, it's like a completely different animal than it was 30 years ago when my first book came out. You know, and my first book is still in print, which still blows my mind. But um. Anyway, they are the publishing world. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Good.
0: And so and what and what other advice would you give somebody that that, as that might be writing a book that has a a, like a memoir that has a lot of personal stories in it?
1: That it's if 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 it gets published and you have to do, you know, publicity for it, it's an emotionally wrenching experience. Right. It's really, really hard and it's also really really great at the same time. It's, it's a right. very strange experience cuz my other books were personal but they weren't personal like this. Right. You know. Yeah. So this is tough.
0: Well, you know, so Jane if people want to if people want to buy the book, where's the best place could what where's the best place they could go?
1: Well, I like people to go to their local bookstore w- wherever mm-hmm. your local bookstore is and Worst comes to worst, you can buy it from Amazon. You can also go on my website, jamedwinell.com, and buy it from me, or you can go on Rootstock Publishing's website and buy it from them.
0: Right. But there you and, go.
1: and please ask your library to get a copy.
0: That's a good point. Yeah, so please go to your local library and ask them for – Uh, ask them to see if they can order the the copy.
1: Completely, because it should be accessible to everyone, whether or not you buy books.
0: If people want to learn more about you, as you said, they can go to jadedwinell.com, correct? Right. And that is g-a-n-e-d-w-i-n-e-l-l.com. And we'll add that to the show notes for those that want to click on the button and see that in the show notes for our listeners. I look forward to probably seeing you on the Capitol probably. Yeah,
1: it sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Thanks.